it, it has been, it's been a long time since I preached, and uh, uh, two bad things about that. It's been two and a half weeks since I preached, and number two, I don't have any notes up here with me, very, very few notes. That's a dangerous thing because I went 12 minutes long in the first service, okay? And I was only hurrying because I saw people standing out there. Little did I know, they didn't care if I ended or not. They were drinking coffee today, all right? Uh, no limitations on this service, so I may keep you till 2 o'clock. No, you'll check out long before that. I, I do know that. Uh, I, I do want to share with you our heart. I, I had planned on coming back today and just uh, begin a new series, but Angie and I discussed it, and she said, well, you know, the, the church sent us on this mission trip. You need to give a missions report. And, and I not only feel obligated to do that, I want to do that. Uh, because God did a, an amazing thing in my life. Uh, when I was in the Philippines, and I know he did in Angie's as well. I want to share with you our experience, our trip, and then after I tell a few stories, I'm going to get into the Word of God and answer some questions that I've had to process over the last few weeks, and we're going to look in three passages, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all right? And that's coming at the end of the service today. Let me begin uh, by bringing everybody up to date on what we have just experienced and done. Uh, my middle daughter is Callie. Callie is uh, 19 years old. Uh, last year, she went to Baylor for her first year of school. She was going into uh, missions in pre-med, uh, and uh, she called us halfway through the year and said, uh, I've got this opportunity to go on a year-long missions trip next year. What do you all think about that? And uh, Miss Angie was all over it and thought it was a great idea. I'm thinking, well, baby, one thing you got to make sure of is that you don't lose your scholarships at Baylor. Because if you forfeit those scholarships, you're going to be living back at home, you know, and uh, that kind of thing. So anyway, she assured me, and I, I, don't, I don't have it in writing, so let's pray about this. I've been assured that Baylor will uh, offer her her scholarships when she goes back next year. Uh, the mission trip that she went on is with Adventures in Mission. They are a missions organization based in Atlanta, Georgia. They have sent out over 100,000 young people on missionary trips over the last several years. So they are a very reputable organization. Uh, she is on what is called the World Race. And they basically have two different races that uh, young people can go on. Uh, the 11 and 11 race, which you're gone for 11 months and every month you're in a different country. So you're in 11 countries over 11 months. That's not the race Callie's on. Uh, Callie is on the uh, three and nine. She's in three different countries over nine different uh, nine months. The first three months, she was in Albania, had a wonderful ministry there. Even though it was difficult because she did not speak the language, she was able to do a great deal of service work and uh, share the love of Jesus Christ. The last three months, she's been in the Philippines. And that has been a wonderful experience for Callie because uh, in the Philippines, they do speak English. They have their own little different dialects, but uh, most of the people there do speak English. Uh, she's been in uh, the capital city for a short bit of time, but most of her time has been down in Tacloban City, which is south of Manila on a small island that was hit by a typhoon three, month, three years ago, and they are in the process of rebuilding. So Callie's team every day provided food for starving children, and they also had Bible classes for them, and she's been able to win some kids to the Lord. Yeah, that, that was awesome. Right now as I speak today, she is in Cape Town, South Africa, 
And uh, she's going to be there for the remaining time. And then at the end of April, hopefully, she's going to come home. <laughs> All right. Uh, Adventures in Mission, uh, they've been doing this a long time. They're good at what they're doing. They know that, that month number six is really hard on the racer, and it is extremely hard on the parents. And so they have a thing called PVT. It is the parent vision trip, where the racer, which is the student, can invite their parent or parents to the mission field and spend a week with them. Uh, not only do the parents get to see their kids, but they also get to uh, be involved in real-life ministry in a mission's work. And that's why they call it the vision trip, the parent vision trip. Parents get a vision, a visual of what their children are up to and how their children have grown. Well, sure enough, Callie invited us. I knew she would, all right? Uh, she wanted both her mom and dad to come, and uh, thanks to you, Kavanaugh Church family, we were able to go. So you don't clap. I'm clapping for you, all right? I'm applauding you for sending us uh, to the Philippines. We had an, it, just an awesome, awesome time. Uh, today's message that I'm going to preach to you has two titles to it. Uh, the first is Wipe Every Tear. That's the actual organization ministry group that we teamed up with when we were in the Philippines. Uh, a single guy, uh, one man, he's married, has six kids, but a single guy uh, had a burden for these girls who were being sold into the sex trade industry. And because of that, he formed Wipe Every Tear. And today he operates uh, four different houses in, uh, in the Philippines. There is another house in a different country. But he has rescued through this ministry right now 70 girls who've been saved out of the sex trade industry. And they're living in these safe houses. And so I've, I've, uh, I've entitled my message, Wipe Every Tear, with a subtitle in parentheses, Does Jesus Love Prostitutes? Does Jesus Love Prostitutes? My hope is that title will make you a little uncomfortable. Does it? Does me asking the question, does Jesus love prostitutes, make you a little uncomfortable? Does it? Anybody? It made a lot of people in the first service uncomfortable. And I'm really hoping it makes you uncomfortable. I, really, I hope that makes you uncomfortable because... Believe you me, church, for the last two and a half months, I have been extremely uncomfortable, all right? When Callie first called us and told us that we were invited and that we were going to be helping wipe every tear and told us a little bit about what they do, I got really nervous because what this organization does is they go into bars and they talk to prostitutes and they offer these prostitutes hope. Lord, have mercy, I'm a free will Baptist preacher. I don't go into bars. I don't talk to prostitutes. So I have been extremely nervous just thinking and processing what in the world has my daughter gotten me into? And then when I actually got over there and found out all the details, I was sweating bullets. So I hope this has made you a little nervous, maybe a little uncomfortable. But when we get to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I am going to answer that question biblically. Does Jesus love prostitutes? Well, let me tell you the story now. You ready for my story? 
I'll tell it as brief as I can, but I, there's a lot to it. Uh, three weeks ago on January 22nd, I preached uh, Sunday morning two times to you guys, and then Angie and I got in a car and drove to Little Rock. Uh, we spent the night with our oldest daughter, Whitney, who Ron and Verna helped raise. Uh, all the good that she has become is due to these two guys, and uh, they taught Whitney to love sweet tea. Miss Verna adds a little bit of uh, tea to her sugar when she makes <laughs> sweet tea. And uh, anyway, Whitney kind of grew up over there at Ron and Verna's house and appreciate them for that. Anyway, we spent the night with, with Whit and Tyler. Uh, we got up the next morning at like 3.15, uh, had to be at the airport at 4 o'clock. Our plane left at 4.55. We flew from Little Rock to uh, Detroit. Uh, once we got to Detroit, we had a long layover, so we just kind of walked through the airport. And then we got on an airplane from Detroit to Tokyo. Uh, let me talk just a little bit about this airplane. Huge, huge airplane, biggest airplane I've ever been on. In the main cabin, there were two aisles. There were three seats, an aisle, four seats, an aisle, and three more seats. Angie and I were stuck right smack dab in the middle of the four seats. To my right was a guy from Kentucky and uh, started talking to him. He flies to Tokyo all the time. He said, he said it's not really bad. It's just a 13 and a half hour flight. Thinking, dude, that's horrible, you know? He said, but if you deer hunt, it's just kind of like sitting in a deer stand. <laughs> and then I figured out how he did it. When the stewardess came by the first time, he asked, he asked for two Jack Daniels. And the whole time, he was drinking Jack Daniels. So by the time we landed, he didn't know where he was. I mean, he didn't know if he was in an airplane or in a deer stand. I mean... So my drunk buddy was next to me. <laughs> By the way, he asked me what we were doing. I, I told him about Cali. He said, oh, I go to a Baptist church. <laughs> Lord have mercy, don't tell me anymore. Right? I, I don't want to know what you guys do. No. So anyway, here's my drunk buddy, then it's me, then it's Angie. And then there's this huge guy next to Angie who was not only taking up his seat, he was taking up half of Angie's seat. <laughs> And there we are, 13 and a half hours flying. I could tell you many more stories about that, but I'm trying to forget that part of the trip. Uh, we landed, landed in Tokyo, had about a five-hour layover in Tokyo. Then we got on another airplane that was a seven-hour trip from Tokyo to, uh, to the Philippines. So we left Little Rock at 4.30, 4.55 Monday morning. We arrived in Manila, Philippines at 10 o'clock Tuesday night. And I do not sleep on airplanes. So I've been up this whole time without any sleep. And I, yes, I am a little grouchy, right? All I want to do when I get to the Philippines is find my luggage, get to a motel, and sleep. All right? So we get there at 10 o'clock. We're, we're, I'm, looking, I'm looking to where the, the luggage rack is. I'm looking. I'm searching. I'm on a mission. Little did I know that Callie and a friend of hers had taken a taxi to the airport, and she was waiting on us. She was going to surprise us. Some of y'all have seen this uh, on uh, maybe Facebook, or here it is. Here's a picture of the video of, of Callie. This is, there's Callie. Thank you. 
What about that? You know, isn't that cool? I guess the interesting thing about that is she gave me a little hug. She gave Mama a big hug. Did y'all notice that? A cool thing, she had a t-shirt on of of the three of us, Mom and Dad and and Callie. So we meet up with Callie at the airport, which was a great surprise, and and it really did start the trip off right. Uh, We got in a, a taxi cab. I just went through a money exchange and exchanged some U.S. currency for Filipino money, and I didn't. I had no idea what I had. They just gave me the money. I didn't know the value of any of this money. And then I made the first mistake. There were a bunch of guys standing there. Oh, let us help you with your luggage. Let us help you. And I let them help me with our luggage. Of course, they took it to their taxi service. And I asked the lady who was standing there, well, how much to this, this motel? And she said, oh, not much. I said, well, how much? And, and I pulled out the currency that I just got Filipino money, and she started pulling it out. She said, it's this much right here. I, I figured it was maybe $15, $20. She took, come to find out, she took $84 out of my pocket. I am still mad about that, all right? I mean, it was only two and a half miles to the hotel room. She ripped me off. I'm still angry about that. I know I need to let it go, but I can't, all right? We, we finally get to the, uh, the motel. We, we get a room. It's midnight. We finally go to sleep. Had, had a good night's rest. And then the journey began, all right? Uh, the next day, we, we kind of pilfered around in, in uh, uh, where we were at around the hotel. And then, then we made our way to uh, where the other students and their parents were. But during that time, uh, I got to looking out there in, the, uh, in, in Manila, and it's crazy. You don't want to drive in Manila, all right? I figured out that their traffic laws are only suggestions. <laughs> if there's three lanes of traffic, they're going to turn it into five lanes of traffic. Bumper to bumper, people driving crazy. I, I noticed there's, there's a whole lot of jeepneys, which I'll talk about in a minute, but there's these little motorcycles with sidecars, uh, maybe ADCC motorcycles with, with a sidecar. And I would see as many as eight people in this sidecar and on that motorcycle. So I told, I told Callie, we got to ride one. She says, Dad, I ride them all the time. They're fun. And so we, we rode one. And have, have, how many of y'all have seen uh, Pirates of the Caribbean? <laughs> Captain Jack Sparrow, you know him? He was our ride driver for this, really. There he is. Look at him. Did you see that? It's Captain Jack. Anyway, Captain Jack took us. I showed you that just to prove I rode in one of those. It was, it was awesome. From there, we went to Kazon City, 
And uh, at Quezon City, that's where all the uh, other racers were with their parents. Uh, 30 people on Callie's team. Uh, not all the parents were able to come. Some parents came like a mom would come or a dad would come. Uh, several of the, the kids had both mom and dad. Thank you for sending both Angie and I. Yeah? She could have done that trip on her own. There's no way. <laughs> I could have done it on my own. I'm glad all of us were there. Uh, once we got to uh, Quezon City, uh, we were told about Wipe Every Tear. Uh, the man who, uh, who formed this ministry is Coach Kenny. Uh, he actually went to seminary, pastored a church for a while, but realized pastoring was not his gift or his calling. Uh, he became a uh, high school basketball coach coaching both boys and girls, married, has six kids, five of them are girls, and one of them was a boy. He was told about this sex trade industry in the Philippines, got a really burden on his heart, uh, started taking up donations from his basketball players and his students to, to help these girls over in the Philippines. And uh, this just developed into an awesome ministry where he literally is giving hope to these girls. Well, he got all of us into this uh, training session and uh, told us a little bit about what we were doing. I think he withheld information from us on, on purpose. For, for example, uh, we asked him, how safe is what we're about to do? He said, well, you know what? Being safe is, is just kind of relative, is it not? <laughs> he said, you, you could get ran over by a car stepping out of your front, front door. He said, so, you know, when you say, is it safe, I, I can't guarantee your safety for what we're about to do. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Here's a little video that he took and, and uh, put on Facebook uh, for his ministry. I just want you to meet Kenny and the people who are there. Then we had about a two-hour training session where uh, he really didn't train us one bit. <laughs> I think, more than anything, I think he scared us to death and made me extremely, extremely nervous. He said, we're going to be going to uh, the main area in Angeles City where the sex trade industry is going on. There's a mile and a half strip. Uh, it's a street called Fields Avenue, and, and both sides of the street is bar after bar after bar. Uh, that's all there is, is, is bars down through there. And within those bars are prostitutes. There are over 15,000 prostitutes in that one and a half mile strip. And uh, you're going to be going in there to those bars and with your team. You're gonna, we're going to form little teams.
teams. They had 20 different little teams that we were a part of. And we had a guide, one of the girls that is now in a safe house that has been saved out of that lifestyle will be your guide. She will take you into the bar and help you out in this process. Said you're going to go into the bar, you're going to sit down, uh, you're going to have to order a, a soda or a water or something to drink, and then you're going you're to pick out one of the girls on the stage who's a prostitute, call her over to the table, and you're going to offer her the services of Wipe Every Tear. You're going to offer her hope, Okay. And uh, he said, Here, here's, here's what you're going to offer these girls. You're going to offer them a, a safe place to live. You're going to offer them clothing. You're going to offer them um, uh, a bed to stay in, food to eat every day. We're going to give them a daily stipend, an allowance. And we're also going to offer them a college education and pay for their books. And then when they graduate from college, we're going to help them find a job. That's what you offer these girls when you go into the bars. Which, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty good deal because these little girls don't have anything. That's why they're where they're at. In fact, for 90% of these girls, their mama and their daddy sold them into the sex trade industry. They're in those bars prostituting their bodies because their mom and their dad don't have enough money to buy rice to feed the family. And so they'll take their daughters when they turn 15 years old and send them and involve them in the sex trade. What a shame. What a crying shame. So he said, that's what you do. He said, don't, don't witness to them. Don't, them. don't tell them about Jesus. We do that when we get them in the house. And 99% of the girls who have been rescued and are in the houses have accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. They go to a daily Bible study and they attend church. Their lives are truly transformed. It's, it's a great thing. So... Basically, that's what he told us. That's what you guys are going to do. You're going you're to go bar hopping and talk to prostitutes. And now I feel like my whole shirt is just wet because I am sweating profusely, you know? I just, I just I can't believe this. Uh, then they took us to the safe houses. They actually took us to two safe houses. I have pictures here. Uh, they give these safe houses names. Uh, we went to the Love House and also the Hope House. And they drove us to these houses, split us up into two groups. Uh, we first went to the Love House and looked around, met the girls who lived there. And then we walked over to the Hope House, met the girls in the Hope House, and they fed us a meal. And we actually got to sit down and talk to these girls who have been rescued. Uh, th these are just a couple of pictures that Angie took of, of some of the bedrooms. Uh, all, that are, all that's in there is bunk beds. I mean, stacked as tight together as you can get them. And I think it's in the love house, there were 30 girls who lived in this one house. They all had little boxes of their clothing that they actually put out on the carport. Uh, there were two bathrooms that were really nice and clean bathrooms. They had a really good kitchen. And, uh, and then they had a fan. There were fans in every room. And here's what Kenny told us. He said, when you talk to the girls in the bars, make sure they know that in the safe houses, they're going to have a fan in their bedroom. There's going to be a fan in the living room. There are fans in every room. He said they might not buy it because they get a bed or they get clothing or they get a college education, but if you tell them they get a fan, they're interested, all right? Now, what a different culture than what we live in, huh? So we were at the Hope House. We had a meal. Um, I was sitting in a chair, and Callie was sitting on the, on the floor with this other little girl uh, who was about Callie's age. 
And they got into a long conversation, and I was trying to listen and, and try to get involved in that conversation as much as I possibly could. But, but here's what I heard this girl tell Callie. She is 19 years old. She has a younger sibling that was in the sex trade industry with her who is now in the safe house. And she has an older sister who was in the sex trade industry and is now in that house as well. So here are three sisters. All three of them have been rescued, and they're in the Hope House. The youngest one is 16. She was 19. Her older sister is 23. Her story was just like all the other girls' stories. She was raised in a small village. Her family was very poor. When these girls got old enough, mom and dad sold them into the sex trade industry. The guys, that broke my heart. Listening to that actually melted my heart. And so the next day we got up, we got into these uh, big old buses, and, uh, and we took off. And, uh, and uh, I, I think I got the next little video is just a clip of us driving through. Uh, I wanted to show you this. We were in an Uber taxi, and, and uh, this, is, this is what these people live in. Some of them living, are living literally in cardboard houses, but people are everywhere. I mean, everywhere were, were people upon people living in abject poverty, they are going from morning to night just, just trying to scrape up enough money to buy rice. Little kids would flock to us no matter where we were. They were holding their hands out, money, money, please give us money, money. And, and I, of course, you know me, I was giving them money. You know? And Angie just turned to one of them and said, well, why don't you give me some money? Freak that little kid out. He didn't know what to say back, but that's just the way they live. The last picture you saw there was, was a vehicle called a jeepney. Uh, Ron, remember those jeepneys? Uh, after the Americans left the Philippines after World War II, they left thousands of jeeps behind. Well, the Filipinos, being ingenious as they are, would take those jeeps and extend the back of it and turn them into public transportation. Uh, they would put two bench seats in the back of these jeepneys and... My understanding is the reason they call them Jeep knees is because the front end is a Jeep. There are two benches in the back, and you're seated back there. Your knees are touching their knees, all right? Thus, Jeep knees. They were the coolest vehicles I've ever seen, though. I mean, I, I love the Jeep knees, and I, I, I came back thinking, oh, Lord, would, could we just have a Jeep knee at Kavanaugh? Yeah. We could drive people around our parking lot in, in our Jeep knee. Well, the next day we got on buses, we went to uh, Angeles City, which is north of, uh, of, uh, of where we were at. took us about two hours to get up there, and, uh, the, and that's where we were stationed for the next two days. Uh, we were in this, this big high-rise hotel that was called a gentleman's hotel. In fact, all the hotels down through there were gentleman hotels. You see, on, on Fields Avenue, where all the bars are, Filipino men are not allowed in those bars. Filipino men cannot solicit a prostitute in those bars. Those bars are only for foreigners. So these men, whether they're from America or Germany or Australia or, or Korea, wherever they're from, they fly to Angeles City, they rent a hotel room, and they go pick up a prostitute in the bar. Angie didn't want to sleep on the bed <laughs> in the hotel we're in, okay? You get me? You understand where I'm coming from? We walked down that street, Fields Avenue. I got mad. I got mad at those men who were flying to the Philippines to pick up a prostitute. 
The, the thing that kind of alarmed me the most, most of the men that I saw were Americans, my age or older. I wanted to thump a couple of them. What are you doing, man? But I refrained myself, all right? So here we are, first night. Kenny told us this is going to be hard for y'all. They got us all together in a, in a room down in the basement of that hotel. We had a worship service. We sang praises to Jesus. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed. And uh, then we formed into smaller teams. I think I got a picture of our team that I want to throw up there. Um, and then our team had a little prayer meeting. And then we went out and hit the streets. Of course, you know three of those people, myself, Callie, and Angie. Uh, the little uh, Filipino girl in the middle there, her name was Claire. Uh, how old was Claire? 20, 26 years old. Uh, Claire, just like most of the other little girls, uh, was sent there by her parents. Uh, she was a prostitute in one of the bars, and uh, Wipe Every Tear came and gave her hope. She made a decision to leave the prostitution, to leave her bar, and to move to the Hope House, and there her life was transformed. Next year, uh, Claire is going to graduate from college, okay? She's going to graduate from college. But better than that, she is a firm believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. She has an outstanding testimony, and I know that Claire loves Jesus with all her heart, soul, and mind. Uh, without Claire, we, we would have been lost. Uh, there were two other people on our team, uh, a father whose name was Matthew, and then uh, his daughter, Claudia, uh, who's a friend of Callie's. And, uh, and so we, we embarked on Thursday night to, uh, to go down Fields Avenue. And I'm sweating bullets. I almost made a deal with Kenny before we were sent out. My idea was, listen, Kenny, here's what I'm proposing. Let's let everybody else go out and, 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 and do the bars and talk to the prostitutes. And I volunteer to stay here at the hotel. And I'll be a, I'll be a prayer warrior. Okay? I'll just pray for everybody else. Okay? And I told Callie that. And Callie said, come on, Dad. You can do it. And so I did it, but not without a struggle. Let, let me kind of just fill you in on some of the struggles that I had and I still have, okay? Number one, I am a free will Baptist preacher. I was saved when I was six years old. I started preaching when I was 10. I've pastored for 33 years. My entire ministry, I have preached against going to bars. I don't believe in going to bars. I've never been in a bar. I don't go to bars. I don't think you ought to go to bars. In fact, I'm going to put my foot. You don't need to be in that environment. Christians don't need to be there. It's, nothing good happens there. And so I had a real problem with me going into a bar. I did, Lord, why, why in the world would you have Callie go on this trip, be involved in this ministry, where I go to see her and do some kind of missionary work with her, and this is it? And he said, he said to me, he said, well, this is not about you. But it is about you. Because I'm about to stretch you like you ain't never been stretched before. And it's painful. So what the Lord gave me is this. I'm not going into those bars for entertainment. I'm not going to walk into a bar for enjoyment. I am on a rescue mission. Okay? I am going in there to share hope with girls who need hope. And that helped me. 
It helped me be able to go on bars. Now, I'm not going to continue that ministry. <laughs> and neither should you, unless you're going into a place like that to help people and save them from the destruction they're involved in. Second, second thing that I really had a problem with is uh, a covenant that I had made years ago. And uh, guys, I'm going to talk to you specifically about this. It's found in Job chapter 31. Here's what Job said, chapter 31, verse 1. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Men, did you know that verse is in the Bible? Right here it is, Job 31, verse 1. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. And years ago, I made that same covenant. Now, why, why is that a good covenant to make if you're a man of God? Because simply this. Whatever you allow into your mind and heart through the window of your eye stays there. It stays there. That's why you, you see some movie and some scene that's on a movie, and then years later, maybe like today, you're sitting in church, and all of a sudden, for some unexplainable reason, that image comes back before your memory, and you see that thing that you saw years ago, and you think, where'd that come from? Well, it's, it's something that's been saved in your mind. You allowed it into your mind and heart through your eyes. And there it is. And so Job was smart enough to say, I made a covenant with my eyes that I'm not going to look in a lustful way at young women. And I've made that same covenant. So I'm saying, Lord, what in the world? Why are you sending me into this, this situation where, where these, there's going to be prostitutes in there and they're going to be dancing and they're, they're not going to have very many clothes on? Because we were warned about that. And it was true. You walk into one of those bars and they have seating, maybe a table and chairs or maybe benches. And then in all of them, there's a stage, whether it's in the center of the room or along the edge of the room, there's an elevated stage and that's where the girls perform. Some of them are up there dancing and they have choreographed dances that they do. Others are up there and in some bars, let me tell you, it, it reminded me of a cattle auction where girls were stacked front to back and they were just walking in a circle around the stage showing the men out there their bodies so that a man could call a girl over. It was pretty revolting. To my surprise, and I guess my delight, in most of the bars the girls did have some clothing on. Most of them were wearing shorts with some kind of top, maybe a tube top. There were only a few bars that we went in that the girls didn't have much on, kind of a string bikini. I did my best not to look, but I mean, it's hard. <laughs> That's the center of, of what you're walking into. But here's what I did in every one of them. If the stage is like right over here, we would sit at a table and I would try to sit like this. <laughs> I didn't want to have to look and linger. But here's what God told me when I went into the first bar. He said, Will... When you see those girls up there, realize that that could be your daughter. Because most of these girls were the same age as Callie. When you look at those girls, you, you realize that, but for the grace of God, that could be, that could be your daughter. And guys, let me tell you, when, when you see another woman and you think of her as your daughter, it will change the way you look at them. The third thing I had a problem with is that I didn't want to have lasting images in my mind because I know how destructive that can be. 
I didn't want to walk in these places and see these girls and then a month later or a week later or a year later have that stuff come back into my mind. And so I prayed earnestly, Lord, don't let that happen to me. And, and I tell you, this is the way God is. You know what? Honestly, since we left that last night from that last bar, God has erased those images from my mind, and I haven't seen any of them come back. And I thank him for that. I thank him for that. Without that, I, you know, I'd probably be in trouble. So, so anyway, I really struggled. I really struggled. But we did it. We did it. We went into the bars. We would sit down and, and, and order drinks. You had to order some kind of drink. So I, I never got so sick of drinking Sprite in my life, okay? Because that's, I would just drink Sprite after Sprite. Uh, and we would sit there and uh, we would look up there, or they would look up there. I tried not to look. Which one? Which girl do we want to call over? And everyone would come into agreement as to what girl we wanted to call over. And, and so we would call the girl over, and, and she would come over, and, and we would buy her something to drink. And, and it's amazing. Some of those little they wanted chocolate milk. Hmm? And we'd start a conversation with them. The first bar, the first girl, we found it. She was like 18 years old. It was her first day. It's her first day on the job. She was scared to death. We offered her hope. It, it was amazing to me uh, the conversations that went on. And Callie was great at it. Can you all imagine Callie being great at this? Uh, she just nonstop talking to these girls and uh, carrying on conversations. And Angie was pretty good at it. I was horrible. <laughs> but I figured out after the second bar, my job is to buy the drinks. That's <laughs> that was my job, all right? And to throw in a word here and there. But man, man, Callie was so good, so good at it. And she brought it home to me when she, she told me after talking to one of these girls. The girl was 19, she was 19. She said, she said, Dad, the only difference between me and her is where we were born and what we were born into. Wow. Wow. So we offered these girls hope. We went into 15 bars, talked to at least 12 different girls. Thursday night, Friday night. Can I tell you, Kenny kept telling us, the next night's going to get better. Friday night's going to be easier. It's going to be better. It wasn't for Angie and I. In fact, Friday night was worse than Thursday night. You know why? We knew what we were getting into. We'd seen it the night before. Anyway, we did it. We talked to at least 12 girls, offered them hope. We would tell them on Saturday morning, there's going to be a bus that leaves here that takes you to the safe houses. You're under no obligation. You can come and check them out. And if it's something that you want to do, you can stay. They'll provide you a way to, uh, to stay there. We, we were really hoping a lot of girls would come. I mean, all the teams together, we probably, we probably talked to at least 150 girls over two nights. There was only five that showed up. But out of those five... Two decided to stay at the safe houses. And we have learned since then that eight more girls have become interested and they want to be a part of that ministry. You know, I realize we can't, I mean, in, in two nights you couldn't save all 15,000 girls. And I, I was a little disappointed we didn't have a greater result than that. But you know what? Just one, just one is worth it. And so it brings me back to the question that I asked at the beginning. Does Jesus love prostitutes? Well, I'm almost done, but i got to share three Bible stories with you that answer that question. And then I have an application for us 
because we always have to have an application, don't we, church? Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is talking to some religious people, some Pharisees, and he says to them in verse 28, But what do you think about this, Jesus asked. A man with two sons told the older boy, Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, No, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and he went anyway. Then the father told the other son, You go. And he said, Yes, sir, I'll go. But he didn't go. Teenage boys, huh? Isn't that the way it is? One of them said, forget you, Dad, I'm not going to go work. But his conscience got the best of him, and he went out and worked. The other one said, yes, I'll go, Daddy, but, but he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father, Jesus asked. They replied, the first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors, and I'm telling you, they were the scum of the earth, tax collectors. What, what do you think about tax collectors now? Oh, no, don't answer that, right? But in Jesus' day, they were, the, they were the worst of the worst. They were ripping people off. He said, I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. So at first the tax collectors and the prostitutes are saying no to God. They're living their sinful life. But you know what? They wake up. They realize they're sinners. They repent and they believe. And God saves them. God can save the worst of the worst. Did you know that? I go over to Mark's gospel. Chapter 2 verse 13. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his what? His tax collector's booth. <laughs> Follow me. Be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guest, along with many other tax collectors and, get this, other disreputable sinners. And in parentheses, the Bible says, there were many people of this kind, that is, disreputable sinners, among Jesus' followers. Can you believe that? That Jesus hung out with disreputable sinners. They were among his followers. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Because that's the way these religious people viewed tax collectors and disreputable sinners. They're scum. They're not worth your time of day. They're not worth talking to. They're not worth getting involved with. Don't touch them. Don't talk to them. Don't even look their way. When Jesus heard this, here's what he said. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I love Jesus, don't you? That, that really was a prominent saying in his day, but we understand the, the meaning of it. Healthy people don't need a doctor, do they? But sick people do need a doctor. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to save sinners, 
to seek and to save the lost. Well, who are these disreputable sinners he talks about? Let, let me quote Dr. Robert Piccarelli, our smartest free will Baptist theologian. He wrote a commentary on the Gospel of Mark, and here's what he said. Sinners is a broad and general term. It's used here to refer to those publicly identified as sinners for one kind of wrong or another. Like these tax collectors, they were ostracized from society. All are sinners, of course, but this was a specific class made up of those who were regarded as immoral people, not only by the Jewish officials, but by common people as well. Prostitutes, for example, were included in this group. In fact, some translations, instead of using the word disreputable sinner, goes ahead and just uses the word prostitutes there. Are you getting the message? Jesus said, I did not come for people who think they are right and religious. I came to save tax collectors and prostitutes. And then in Luke's gospel, chapter 7, we read this story. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Now, I really wish I had time to exegete this passage because it really is interesting. Did you know that in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is a story about a woman who came and anointed Jesus? Now, most theologians believe that the story that is told in Matthew, Mark, and John's gospel is the same story told by these different gospel writers. They also believe that the story that we're reading here in Luke was a different story. It came at a different time in Jesus' ministry, and this woman was not the same woman who anointed him in Matthew, Mark, and John's gospel. They believe that this woman really was a prostitute. It says in verse 38, she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. So Jesus was lounged there at the dinner table. They sat differently than we do. They were on, on uh, pillows, and his body was behind him. He was kind of laying on his side, resting on his left arm. So his feet were behind him. This lady came up behind his feet. You're probably wondering, this is a private uh, dinner. How did she get in the house? Well, things back then weren't private. People heard that somebody was having a party. People would just come in. <laughs> so she just came in. Most believe that she had heard the teachings of Jesus, maybe had even met Jesus before, had believed his teachings. She was so touched by him that she came in and she started weeping over his feet. Her tears were hitting his dirty feet. She didn't have anything to wipe them off with, so she let her hair down. Again, I wish I could exegete this for you because this says volumes about this lady. Women, Jewish women, did not let their hair down in public. It was a disgrace for them to bring their hair down. She's doing it in public, throwing all caution to the wind. Why? Because she's wrapped up in worshiping Jesus. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, again, he's saying this to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. She's a prostitute. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. 
That's something, isn't it? Jesus knew what the guy was thinking. Just like he knows what you're thinking. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with this precious costly perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, okay, don't miss that fact, her sins, which she has quite a few of them, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now let me just make a real quick doctrinal point. Letting tears fall down her face onto Jesus' feet didn't save her. Wiping the tears off of her feet with her hair didn't save her. Putting the costly perfume on Jesus' feet did not save her. What saved this woman was faith. That's the only thing that can save us. But faith saved her. Jesus forgave her. And he sent her away in peace. So let me go back to my question as I close. Does Jesus love prostitutes? You better believe he does. He came to save them. He came to offer them hope. And who in the world am I to question God doing that or denying his power in doing it? I should rejoice that Jesus loves prostitutes. I should rejoice that Jesus has the power to save the least of these. And so should you. Well, that brings me to my application. i got three points of application that I've learned through this process, and I hope that, that you'll take the challenge of them as well. Number one, allow God to stretch you, okay? Because God wants to stretch you. It, it, it just so happens that this whole process, I have been reading in the Old Testament the account of Moses. Let me tell you, Moses was stretched by God. Everything God told Moses to do, Moses says, I can't do that. I can't do that. God said, yes, you can. God stretched him. God used him. This whole time I've been saying, Lord, I can't do that. It's not that I couldn't do that. I didn't want to do that. But God stretched me. 
Now, I don't think this is going to be a permanent ministry of mine. I'm, I'm not going to go bar hopping. I'm not going to go talking to prostitutes, all right? It's not my thing. But God had me do it, and I did it, and he stretched me. He's made me a better person because of it. And I know God's wanting to stretch you. God's wanting to use you in new and different ways than you've ever been used before. So when God starts stretching, don't tell him to stop. Let him use you. The second thing I want to challenge you with is this. People really do matter to God. Being out of this country, number one, made me glad I am an American. <laughs> okay, it really did. I'm thankful for this country. We don't know how good we have it. We really don't. But people, no matter who they are or where they're at, matter to God. God cares about people. God loves those little girls whose families have abandoned them. God loves those little girls who are made to parade their bodies on a stage, understanding that an old man, maybe 60 years old, is about to buy them for 60 bucks and pay a mama-san for them to go sleep with that man. And those little girls' bodies are going to be the possession of that dirty old man all night long. And they're scared to death. God's heart bleeds for them. God loves them. God loves everybody. God wants to save everyone. And while we can't save everyone, the people we can reach, they matter to God. Reminds me of that story, one of my favorite stories of the little kid picking up starfish, throwing them back in the ocean. Millions of starfish on the, on the ocean. This grumpy old man reminds me of some of y'all. Oh, man. He walks by and says, kid, what are you doing? He said, I'm throwing these starfish back in the ocean, saving them. He says, what does it matter? What does it matter? You can't save them all. And the little kid picked one up and flicked it in the ocean and said, matter to that one. People matter to God. And I correlate that with my third challenge to you. You share God's love with the people he loves. God is going to put you in the path, he does every single day, of people that he wants you to witness to. People that he wants you to express his love to. And if you don't do it, who in the world is going to? So be his hands, be his feet, and be his mouth. Share his love.